James 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. Can you join me in giving a warm welcome to Pastor Joel? Good morning. As you uh, heard from the passage, uh, we're going through the book of James. And um, David, uh, Pastor David pointed out when we all started that uh, James is a practical book about putting your faith in action. Now, another way of putting this is that I think that James deals with what I call a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian. Now, let me explain. In my early 20s, I worked for a group home for recovering um, uh, teenagers, recovering from drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, what they all had in common is they were somewhere, probably, usually the inner city. They committed a crime in order to pay for their addiction, ended up in juvie, and rather than just serving time in juvie, they would come to the group home um, in order to uh, get over their addiction. And so we did AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and Narcotics Anonymous meetings three or four times a, a week with them as they were dealing with these issues. And, and in that time, um, I learned this term called a dry drunk. It's something they use in the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Um, it's some, it refers to a per person who has managed to uh, stop drinking However, their aspects of their life remain the same. A dry drunk may still be full of resentment and anger. Instead of, finding, instead of finding joy in their life from the alcohol that they can act um, as if they're really serving a prison sentence, not drinking. Uh, friends and families actually often complain that the dry drunk is almost as hard to be around as, the, as when they were still drinking. Uh, one old wise drunk puts it this way. He says, it's like a horse thief who goes into AA, and what you end up with is a sober horse thief. Nothing has changed. It is my experience that this concept is not limited to alcoholics. We have the same problem among Christians, so I don't call it a dry drunk. I call it a carnal Christian. What the carnal Christian is is a person um, who there isn't much change in. I mean, maybe they go to church, they might read a Bible, and they might even wear a cross, but in other aspects of their life, their life is the same. Matter of fact, friends and family, when they kind of talk about this Christian, this carnal Christian, uh, they're usually just as hard to be around as they always have been. Not much has changed except for where they go on Sunday morning, and maybe a few posts on Facebook. One of the biggest challenges for the carnal Christian is often... Uh, they don't see what's obvious to the people around them. They fool themselves in believing that they are Christ followers because they have some kind of religious activity in their life. And James addresses this in his book. He understands that, that in this thing that we call the church, 
There are imposters among us. And by the way, often the chief imposters, often the chief imposters are the guys on stage. So today he, he particularly um, talks about wisdom. What is true wisdom? That was the passage that uh, Cindy read for us. He compares, if you would, carnal wisdom from below and spiritual wisdom from above. And he starts with this statement, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, I would think most people would want to raise your hands. Now, if you're wise, you won't. But you want to. And then he kind of gives the, the, his core idea here. He says, let them, whoever thinks that they're wise and understanding, show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. See, at this initial question, everyone, again, wants to raise their hand. But James outlines something. It's interesting because you think that he's going to talk about this is what wisdom is and and maybe give us some proverbs. But instead, he says, it's, it's by a good life, not good words. In other words, he's saying, hey, hey, folks, let's just admit it. Um, we're all in process here, some a little further than others, and some ain't, ain't getting there. And you need to be wise. You need to understand who to listen to, who to follow, and who not to. Who you want to become and who you don't want to become. And so he kind of says, you, 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 at the end, he starts at the end, good life, and then he talks about uh, uh, deeds done in humility, the attitude, and then he talks about this all comes from wisdom. It's kind of like thoughts lead to feelings, which lead to action. The thoughts are wisdom. The feeling is it comes from a place of humility. And then the result of that, if it's true wisdom that comes from humility, then the true uh, result is a good life, or the Bible calls righteousness, Christ-likeness. It looks like him. So here's, here's what, I'm, what I uh, am proposing. I think the fundamental question with this all is going to go back to is who's on the throne of your life? That's why I brought up my chair here, not because I plan on teaching a long time and I need a rest. <laughs> this represents the throne of our life, our will, if you would, our plans, our future. And, and for most of us, even now, let's admit it, we sit on the throne of our life. And what I believe James is going to argue is that anything from this spot is a worldly kind of wisdom. It's a carnal Christian. And he begins to address this very issue as he kind of outlines this, this wisdom from below. And, and, and the heart of this wisdom isn't just uh, what I decide, or it may come from others. I may listen to others, but what I do is I listen to others as long as it makes sense to me. In other words, does it come from someone I agree, right? And that's, let's face it, that's what our world's based on, right? You listen to the news, you do whatever news you listen to, if you listen to the news, based on who you want to hear. You listen to the folks that tell you what you want to hear. 
That's why we have all these, all these choices, right? It's because we, we now live in a world where everyone's like, you know what? I, I agree with so-and-so, so I like to listen to them. And that's our intake of wisdom. So James begins to kind of unpack this. What is exactly worldly wisdom? And he starts with, first, worldly wisdom harbors better envy. This is misguided zeal. It's zealous, by the way. It looks zealous. It looks passionate, but it's contentious. At the root of it is anger, really, at the accomplishment of others. We see this all throughout our leadership today. People stand up to the podium to speak about whoever's on the other side of the aisle, and I'm not for one side or the other. And they stand up, and you could just tell their words are dripping with the venom of envy by the way they speak. They're not trying to build bridges. They say, on, on one hand, they're like, let's build bridges. And then they go over here and they say, everyone on this side that I want to build a bridge to is an idiot. That's a good bridge builder. <laughs> and, and for some reason, our world doesn't see this dichotomy. Uh, this dichotomy. When we find fault with a leader, now I'm, I'm making it personal, we ask ourselves, we have to or should ask ourselves, uh, where is that coming from? In the church even, do we actually share the same weakness? I'm really good at this. I can really point out the weakness in others, especially when it's really close to mine. Do we imagine ourselves doing better in that role? Are we in fact simply envious of the ability to success that God has allowed him or her to have? The positive answer to any of these kind of begins to stir up there is envy in our lives. Envy in the church. I can guarantee you there is envy between denominations and branches of Christianity. I'm not even talking about other religions, let alone the pastors. It's one of the, the, one of the unique and phenomenal things about the relationship that Trinity Church and Current have um, is that we're not competing. And hopefully some of the other characteristics, we're trying to work together because we, we work for the same boss. There's only one boss. And the result of this bitter envy, or part of this bitter envy, then he goes on to say, is selfish ambition. It's the partner, if you would, of bitter envy, a selfish ambition. And that's basically the desire to live one's own life. Um, okay, check this with the Holy Spirit, all right? You want to hear the bottom line of selfish ambition? It's the idea, you just do you. It's the idea that however you feel, however, whatever's right for you on your throne, whatever decision you want to make that makes you happy, whatever, whatever makes uh, the things that you want to say are good and things that you want to say are bad, if, as long as that feeds you, in other words, you're good on your throne, anything that flows from that place is selfish ambition. By definition, you do you is you do what's right for you. It's all about you. So make decisions that's ambition for you. That's selfish. And again, check this with the Holy Spirit. I understand, I, I understand. this is, this. let me tell you, the person who gets it the worst is the pastor preparing for the message. So this was a knife in the gut 
for me. Okay? I mean, the Lord was, was very, very um, willing to show me my selfish ambition. And my attitude that I sometimes cover up, spiritually speaking, but I cover up. It often comes from this place, if I don't stand up for me, who will? Doesn't, doesn't that sound, I mean, that was, that was one of the things the Lord revealed to me. That's how I justify it. Yeah, but God, if I, if I just, right, and we, we throw the doormat thing in there. I don't want to be a doormat. And God's kind of general response to me is, well, my son wasn't a doormat. But he wasn't filled with selfless ambition either. <laughs> I think selfish ambition leads, in, in leadership, it leads to the, what I call the party spirit, even in the church, right? There are the hymn folks, and the praise folks, and the hillsong folks, and the vineyard folks. There's the, it should be this long, folks. It should be longer, folks. It should be really short, folks. And, 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 it's, and it's, fine to have those, I'm not, I'm, it's fine to have those opinions, but what's wrong is when we begin to party up. Because you know what? The Bible doesn't say. It's, it has no opinion on the guitar or the drums or the beat. Just the one that we focus on. We have to be careful of, of in the church this coming. And then, and then he says, when this arises in you, you got to be careful of two things. The first thing is don't boast about it. Because a lot of times when we're called on this, especially us leaders, we're called on this, we kind of double down. Our, our, our pride and our desire kind of says, hey, this is, I'm standing for what is right. The truth can't be compromised. Now, these statements are true. But they usually, the things that we're quote-unquote fighting for is not about heresy. It's about preference. I'm going to tell you, what, what destroys churches is, is usually not the fight over should we really serve Jesus or not. Right? What, what, destroys, what destroys churches is, you know what, we're going to go to two services. Oh, God, what, two services. i got to get up earlier. You know those, those are the things that destroy churches. I worked at one church, and we made a lot of decisions. The biggest decision that had the, the biggest impact on our church was when the worship leader painted the back wall black. We literally had people showing up saying, you know what, God is a God of light. You have to repaint the wall. Now, we can laugh at it until the Holy Spirit begins to reveal it in us, and we begin to to kind of look at the things, and when we kind of walk away from the church, we don't talk about the context of the message. We may talk about the length. We may, we may talk about, you know, the temperature in the room, and, and I get those things do matter, but what really matters is the wisdom that was shared. Are we talking about that? The other aspect is just to deny the truth. Some people double down and some people just aren't honest with themselves. Everybody else can see it. They're, they're sold out to this idea. It really isn't about whether it's right or wrong. It's they want it this way. They believe that the small group should meet at this time. They believe that we need to study this book. They believe that whatever. 
But when it's pointed out, when God stirs it, they just deny the truth. And he says, that's, a, that's another great example of unwisdom. The folks who aren't even, they're, they're either boasting about the fact that it's my way or the highway. Or they deny the truth. They're, they're still kind of saying, no, I just, I've got everybody in mind. Even though they clearly don't. Like I say, let's build bridges. They're idiots. That's denying the truth that you really don't want to build bridges. And then the summary of this, he says, is that, that basically this kind of wisdom is three things. Earthly, unspiritual, and what's, what's interpreted in your Bible as, as demonic, which really means to be like the evil one, like the accuser. So earthly is, it doesn't come from heaven. It's of this world. This is a fallen, broken world. It is unspiritual, and unspiritual is really simple. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. These kind of things don't come from the Holy Spirit. These kind of fights don't come. That's not the kind of things the Holy Spirit worries about. The time we meet or the beat of the music. Really, the Holy Spirit could care less. What he, what he cares about is when we meet and when we worship that we're, our eyes are on Jesus as Lord that we're honoring God, that we're lifting him up. And when he says it's demonic, what he's basically saying, listen, the enemy went to God and said, God, it's great that you're on the throne and everything, but I think you should share. I mean, I got, I got a third of the other beings that you created that we call angels saying that I'm, I'm pretty cool too. Selfish ambition. When we act that way, we share now, there's a result of this kind of worldly wisdom, and he gives us. If, if you want to know what, if someone's wisdom is from God or not from God, look at the result, and he says there's twofold, disorder and every evil practice. Disorder is simply, actually, I, uh, the best way I can explain is this. At the end of Judges, in this book, the, if you read the Hebrew scriptures in the book of Judges, people are all over the place. And when it wants to, to kind of summarize how far they are, are from God, it ends this way. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Disorder. It's one of the things that we see in, in, in our culture. It's, it's the cancer, if you would, that I believe could destroy America, our own individualism. Everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. It's disorder. It's disorder. Let me give you just a, a, a small example of this, um, I have four kids. Right now, they're all four teenagers. And so when we had one and two, um, when it came dinner time, we were like, what would you like to eat? And whatever the kids said, my wife would make it. And sometimes, you know, it would be different. So, you know, we, what rest of us eat with one meal, and the other one might eat a peanut butter sandwich, right? But when we went from two to four, yes. There is no more asking, what do you want to have? You ate what was given to you. We're not going to make four or five different meals. Okay? Now, the bad part is our kids didn't get to eat the things they liked. But here's the good part. If we visit your house, right, especially when they were littler, our kids would have amazed you because they ate what you served. People weren't used to that because most kids only ate certain things. 
And you had to have the parents brought it because they'll only eat, you know, corn dogs, right? Chicken fingers. Right? The list is really small. And, and so the advantage, the advan- there is an advantage of not having so many choices. There is an avan- advantage of it not always happening your way. We'll kind of see this kind of unfold. This whole idea that it results in disorder and evil practice, again, it's, the evil practice is simply, it results in everyone getting their way. That's not a good result. The result is people on the same page sacrificing for the Lord's way. So here it is. This is the flow. If I believe that I am the Lord of my life, the result of that, my thinking is going to be selfish. It's about me. And the feelings are going to be this envy and ambition. And the result is going to be disorder. The result is not going to be a life that honors God. It's going to be a life that honors me. And by the way, I'm talking about us Christians. I'm not talking about them out there. James wasn't talking about them out there. He's talking about you and me. As long as we sit here. And then in contrast, he gives us, he gives us wisdom from heaven. And he has several words. And again, it's interesting because this isn't the way I would expect James to approach it. Because what he really is, is he's describing someone who has Christ on the throne. First of all, he says they're pure. In other words, they're a person who intakes things that honor God and not a whole lot of other stuff. So if you're looking for a a person of wisdom... I think one of the questions you have to ask is, what is their intake? Just as importantly, if you want to be a person of wisdom, let me tell you, in our, in our society, especially in the Bay Area, in our society, we are frogs in boiling water. You know, you put a frog in cold water, and you start to heat it up, it won't have the good sense to jump out because it just changes one degree at a time, and all of a sudden it's boiled. And that's the same thing that's happening to Christians. We are intaking so much of the world's subtle message let you be you. If it feels good for you, I mean, come on. You just take little, little beats and pieces of God's word, right? God wouldn't want you to be unhappy. Don't judge. But wisdom, wisdom comes from a place where the intake is from God. It's from his word. It's from the Holy Spirit. And wise people begin more and more to grow in their purity. Garbage in, garbage out. God's truth in, God's truth out. Peace loving. We're going to find this really is kind of one of the hard issues. This is just basically willing to make a sacrifice for peace. Now, this is not peace at all costs. We just uh, shared with our church uh, a meme that basically said, hey, when you think about what would Jesus do, remember that turning over tables and chasing people out with a whip is within the possibility. He did that. So this isn't peace at all costs, but, but what it is is an attitude of I'm not first and foremost trying to get my way. I'm first and foremost trying to move to a place. I love peace where we can be at peace. 
I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus could say some of the insane things he said. Be perfect as my Father is in, he- is in heaven. You've heard it say, don't murder. I tell you, if you just say careless words to someone, you've murdered them. And yet it says the crowds want to follow him. I think it is because at his heart, he was peace-loving. He was a peaceful person. He didn't go around wagging. Yes, he went around sharing the truth, but not in judgment, not in I'm right and you're not, but in love, trying to build a bridge rather than break a bridge. Consider it. In other words, gentle, not seeking your own way. This is the opposite of self-seeking. It's thinking about where others are coming from, especially in issues um, such as uh, of preferences, such as music, such as somebody on the other side, whether you agree or disagree with the wall. Okay. By the way, the Bible is neutral. There are good walls. They wanted to rebuild them in Jerusalem. There are bad walls. Jericho came down. The Bible's neutral on the wall. <laughs> but wherever side of that wall you're on, to be considerate, to listen, understanding that it's not an absolute. And there are important issues on both sides. Here's a hard one for us, submissive. Wisdom is submissive. In America, wisdom is standing your ground. I will not. I will not. Tell us what you will not. Okay, fine. What will you do? And again, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about, I mean, there, there's uncompromising. There are things that we are uncompromising on, but there is so much in this life that we can serve people. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, but when he went around to wash feet, he washed Judas's feet. He submitted to him, even though he knew that, that God was not his father. He belonged to another. He washed his feet. He submitted. When all the lepers came to him that needed to be healed, ten of them, he healed all ten. Only one came back and said thank you. But he healed all ten. Jesus poured out his life for all. Look, if you want to know where wisdom comes from, if you want to know your leader that is who I should follow, who's serving not just who's the one that kind of has, agrees with you on this particular issue. Who's laying their life out? It also says he's, he's full, wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. In other words, it's compassionate, and, it, and there's fruit in their life of helping and serving others. They don't just get up here and say, hey, we need to go help. We need to go at Freedom House. We need to be there. We need to do tech. No, that's their life. You know? When you, when you call them on a Saturday and say, hey, you want to go so-and-so? And they're like, I'm sorry, I've already committed to go here. I'm serving there. This is how you, how you know they are compassionate. Because of the way they, what they say. We are filled with a society of people who are like, how can I tell people what they want to hear so I can, you know, have my YouTube channel succeed? My podcast go viral. Right? If that's, that's, if just look up any of those things, how to do it. They're going to say, find your niche of things that somebody wants you to say, that, that something that people want you to hear. And it's saying find someone who's living the kind of life. Be the kind of person that's living that kind of life. So here's what heavenly, uh, I'm sorry, 
Two more. Impartial. We know what this is. It's free from prejudice. It doesn't, it doesn't look at rich and poor. It doesn't look at Republican or Democrat. It doesn't look like you've been in church a long time or you're, you're, you're new. It's impartial. It's also sincere. In other words, it's without hypocrisy. It's someone who's, who what they say in public, it's what they do behind the scenes, which is why we always have to be careful of following any kind of celebrity speaker, Christian or not, if you don't know their life. I'm not saying you can't listen to them. I'm just saying that someone who you know their life, I would trust their wisdom a little bit more than somebody who just, man, that was really dynamic. So heavenly wisdom results in this. It's very interesting that this is a summary. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What he's saying is, is that true wisdom is is, comes from a place where it's trying to bring peace. The primary peace, by the way, is between people and God. But it's also about peace between people. It's about peace between two ideas. The true person of wisdom isn't trying to get their way. They're trying to move people into love, into peace. Granted, under, under God's auspit of authority and truth, And he says the result of this is they'll reap a harvest of righteousness. In other words, they'll be doing that which pleases God. They'll get their well done, good and faithful servant. So if Jesus is on the throne, this is heavenly wisdom, then your thoughts begin, your thinking begins to think, what does Jesus want? And you will feel in that, by the way, humility. And let me tell you why. Because what he wants and what you're capable of doing are two different things. Okay? The good news that we talk about about our forgiveness and God's strength, if you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 50, 60 years, it's still as good for you today as it was the first day you heard it. Because we are all hopelessly self-centered and, and, and want to advance self. And God's constantly going to challenge us to forgive people, to humble ourselves, um, to say I'm sorry, even if it's 2% our fault to, to people, to give up time, which we'd rather not give up, that we really, we really want to spend fishing or riding, riding motorcycles or going through Facebook to serve folks that will never say thank you to us. When we come to that place, it humbles us because we understand that God truly is good and we're not. And then out of that then comes good life. But it's not just good deeds. It's good deeds done in humility. It's good deeds done for others' good and not mine. And this is what slowly happens, right? Not only is, am I not on the throne of my life, but I begin to kneel. But not only do I begin to kneel, but I begin the process of slowly but surely raising Christ up. Raising him up. Now, let me tell you a truth. First of all, this message needs to come to end soon. (laughs) You say amen to that. And second of all, I can't hold this chair for much longer. In order for me to hold this chair up, I need to do that a lot. 
first 30 seconds, then a minute, then five minutes, then on and on and on. It's the same thing with raising Christ up as Lord. Let me give you another little nugget, okay? If you want to be like Jesus, don't just read people's opinions about what Jesus was like and try really hard to do that. Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Look for him in the scriptures, and he's from the beginning to the end. Ask him to speak to you by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Be with Jesus, because the more you're with him, the more you'll be like him. Just like any relationship. The more you're with someone, the more you, you begin to kind of pick up on their mannerisms and begin to do some of the things that they do. Jesus is no different. That's the muscle to work. So when we're talking about faith and action, I think the fundamental question that we have to be honest with ourselves is how much of a carnal Christian am I? I can guarantee you there are carnal Christian aspects of you. There is no one righteous, only God. Only Christ was truly righteous. But how much of me is carnal? And how much is Jesus growing in me more and more, right? It's a process to be on the throne of my life. Because if you begin to do that, your, your life will bear a fruit. First of all, a fruit of peace. A lot of the contentiousness in your life, a lot of things that drive you crazy on the news and about this world, though you're still, you'll be driven more than ever. You'll be driven, I believe, to places of peace. And you'll get to experience what Jesus prayed for us, that life which is abundant. What Paul said is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you do this phenomenal, awesome, amazing good work in us. Not by our power, not by our might, but by your strength. Lord, would you grow us? Because I know it's a process. First of all, would you stir in us a hunger for wisdom, your wisdom? Would you reveal to us, dear God, the places in our lives um, where we're denying the truth? Would you reveal to us the places in our life where we've doubled down and, and are actually proud of our selfish ambition? Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for sitting on the throne while trying and saying we serve you. Would you grow in us the desire to know you, to become like you, that we may become people of wisdom, that our hearts more and more may, may grow towards humility, and that out of that comes a life where the world around us can benefit, where our family can benefit, where our church can benefit. May we sow the seeds of peace, and may the fruit be some who come to know you, the God of peace. Praise the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.